This is Oh Man Rolling Dice. Good evening. This is Jason with Old Man Rolling Dice. We're here tonight with my partner in crime, Jeremy, and close friend, fellow adventurer, Nate, and fellow role player in the local community, Jeff. We're here to talk about the 1980s satanic panic and its impact on young gamers. Let's take I, it away, boys. I thought you were about to kick into Good Morning Vietnam when you started off. <laughs> You're like, good. I'm giving a little extra. You're giving a little extra. Giving a little oomph. So we are going to talk. We are going to talk about satanic panic. We're going to try try not to talk about COVID. I think that's my challenge. That's my challenge to everyone. We'll try not to talk about COVID. Just about satanic panic. So when we talk about the satanic panic, just to be clear, we're talking about the 1980s, some of the 90s, but I can tell you that it's happened just last year. So oh, it's still out there. It's still out there. Basically, if you're not if you're not aware of satanic panic, I could, we could put it in another words. In other words, we could say uh, the stigma of Dungeons and Dragons. When you tell someone that you're a player, or God forbid that you're a dungeon master, that you are somehow um, someone has a stereotype of what you are when you tell them that if they're not a player. If they are a player, I mean then everyone's all of a sudden gushing and excited because they've found another player of Dungeons and Dragons or role-playing games. But if they're not a player, that's when it's like, I think people get sort of an image in their head of what they're, what they're doing. Well, it's true. What what I think it's one of those things. That, nobody's neutral on it, right? Like everybody has an opinion on it one way or another. There's very few people who are like, you play Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, that's neat. And just move on. Like they're either like, really? Yeah. I had no idea. Um, and you get that, that side eye or you're right. If they're a gamer or they're into sort of any gaming hobby there, you've suddenly opened up, like, it's like the secret handshake, right? You're suddenly part of an, an, uh, a very intimate club and it's an immediate sort of acceptance. Yeah. It's like a floodgate of you start hearing about their level 10 barbarian. Exactly. They just begin to spew all over you. What, but what hey, I'm an 18th level so and so I'm a you know my barbarian does this I've killed that I've yeah we're gonna have to, we have Nate and Jeff here and and I'm gonna talk they have experiences with sort of satanic panic or the fear of Dungeons and Dragons and I have a couple anecdotes to to lay on you as well Jason is our placebo there we go Jiminy placebo Jiminy placebo. It was Jiminy Cricket the last couple of episodes, now Jiminy Placebo, because Jason has had almost uh, no blowback. Life's been good. Life's been good. And and I guess maybe I take it for granted or I don't realize it. Like, until you talk to somebody who's had a negative experience or or a rough time with this, you're like... I'm wondering, I'm wondering, I know that you started playing and then took a break. I'm wondering if you took a break right at the right time, that you got out before the shit hit the fan. When was, when was your break? Like early 2000s? Oh, no, no. I stopped playing when second edition came out. Oh. So I was a primarily, so like 80, 87, 88. Wow. That's like prime sat- satanic panic. Like. So, so maybe that's it. Maybe well, let's I go got through. off the bus before it crashed. Let's, mm-hmm. uh, let's, let's go through uh, everybody's experience. So Nate, when did you start playing Dungeons and Dragons? Probably 86. 86? Yeah. Yeah. So you and you and I are right around the same time. Yeah. For I sure. think I started playing in eighty five. Yeah. Eighty five. 
so you you played through all the editions or did you take a break on any i didn't play through all of them mm -hmm. i played the whole time i just kept playing 3.5 when fourth was out <laughs> i was that guy <laughs> is, no no you're not that guy this is not an uncommon story yeah we, we talked to lots of people through the podcast I went and tried fourth. I played one campaign in it. It was short-lived. I think we went from about first to seventh or first to eighth level. And then we all said, this is not our Dungeons and Dragons. And we switched. Yeah, we we went to Pathfinder though. We didn't, we didn't go back to 3.5. Oh, Pathfinder is amazing. We went to Pathfinder. I had a lot of fun with Pathfinder. Mm -hmm. Jeff, I know, I know for a fact that you are a late bloomer. Uh, yes, definitely. Yeah. My first experience with Dungeons and Dragons was you know, in uh, high school, which was early 2000s, but that was just a, a few sessions. That kind of ties into the story that uh, like kind of relates back to Satanic Panic, but I didn't really get into it until I started uh, gaming with you at the bench and a little bit before then. I'm a bit of a dealer that way. <laughs> I know what people want. I know what people need. Yeah. When would high school have been for you in the 90s? Uh, it would have been the 2000s. So 2000s? like I graduated. Wow, yeah. you're younger than I thought. So... It would have been third third edition, I bet. Uh, it might have been. I'm not really sure what it was. Um, three three point five. I'll bet yeah. it was third. Yeah, yeah. But the majority of your playing has come with fifth. Oh yes, absolutely. And, and this is not uncommon for people. Fifth edition, we have found out, has been a major gateway for a lot of people to get into the into gaming. It's not unusual too. Three point five ran for a long time, and I mean, it was really popular, right? So I mean, when we get talking to people. There's a lot of people that that's where they entered. There's a lot of people um, like Nate who's, who's stuck with it, right? I mean, it's not uncommon. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. 3.5 kind of suffered from a, a book bloat. Oh, big time. <laughs> mm -hmm. Big time. But the uh, metagamers, the guys who just love to make their like super characters. Oh, they that love was their bloat. addition. Oh, yeah. There's so much crunch uh, in 3.5. Uh, There's so much crunch. And then, of course, as we've already mentioned, Pathfinder. There was so much crunch in Pathfinder. Yeah. Yeah, my favorite story to tell in Pathfinder is that the last game of the last campaign of Pathfinder I ran had a lich as the main bad guy at the end, and his stat block was seven pages long. Dear Lord, seven pages! Wow, seven pages <laughs> long for an enemy stat block, and it was a nightmare for me to to moderate and control. And we were using spreadsheets at the table so that we could track everyone's buffs and debuffs appropriately. And and when that finished, fifth edition was out, and I had not picked it up yet. Uh, I I had kind of put my foot down. I'm like, you know what? I'm in Pathfinder now, and I'm in Pathfinder to stay. Fuck you, Wizards of the Coast. And then I read the player's handbook, and everything changed overnight for me. 100%. I was like, I was like oh my gosh, you can play this game with this few rules. I forgot yeah. you could do this. I'm not going to bash 3.0 because it's written by Monty Cook, and he's kind of like... He's a legend. Where some people love Gary Gygax, I love Monty Cook. I just, I, th I think his writing's fantastic. So there, I've said it. I don't care. I don't care. Monty, if you're listening, <laughs> I love you. Anyway, 3.0 was a great system. And 3.5 built on it. But by the time 3.5 rolls around, if I'm correct, Monty's no longer part of the discussion. He's left Wizards at that point. Monty Cook Games. And created his own. Actually, Malhavelic Press first, and then oh, Monty oh. Cook Games. Woo. My apologies, sir. Woo. My anyway. apologies, sir. So <laughs> this is this is what happens when you have a man crush on somebody. Yeah. Like you know that kind of stuff about him. 
Phoenix blood you type write, by any chance? Yeah, you, gonna, you write him a Valentine? Did you mail it to him? I don't. I don't. Uh, just hey, there's like a picture in his house on the fridge, and it's just like with crayon. It says me and Monty, and it's a picture of Jeremy and Monty Cook. I've seen it. It's there. It's the real. picture of Jeremy cut himself out and glued him beside Monty. Cook. While while we're <laughs> while we're deconstructing my my relationship <laughs> with Monty Cook, I'm quite sure if I ever met Monty at a convention, it would be awkward. I think it would be awkward. I want to be there for that day. Yeah, he would not like me. I I would maybe. I would maybe cry. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Throw I would your just underwear at him. My, I think I would embarrass myself. I think I would embarrass <laughs> myself. <laughs> throw my underwear at him. Yeah. The size of my underwear is like throwing a, <laughs> like throwing a kite at him. <laughs> anyway, where the fuck were we here? I'll tell sort of my tale. I, I've got two stories. One that happened just recently, and one that I had when I was a kid. So let me tell my my thing, and then we'll jump to Nate, and then maybe Jeff. Mine is going to sound very tame. Uh, so my story is simply this. I'm playing Dungeons & Dragons. I'm taking over my mother's dinner table, a uh, dining room table, every weekend of the 80s. And I don't have, like, I am not one of these where it's, like, Stranger Things, where there's, like, three or four kids sitting around the table. I have 10 to 12 guys my table is packed. My mother's dining room table is just overwhelmed. We play Dungeons and Dragons from dinner right through until as late as we can before my dad is telling us, like, get out of my house, uh, get to bed. I can remember many nights we would just stop the game. You would leave the table as is. Everyone would, like, go crash. My basement had a whole bunch of couches and stuff. We would go down in the basement. We would crash out in the basement. We would wake up. We would literally eat Anything that my poor mother and father had in their kitchen, uh, cereals, eggs, uh, bacon, we would, we would toast. It was all gone by the time my dad gave, woke up. I remember him walking in the kitchen once and just being like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. What is happening here? And then there's, he looks to you the dining room and, and the 12 kids that were on his dining room table the night before, they're now back and they're playing Dungeons and Dragons again. My parents know I'm obsessed. They have these kids invading their houses. I'm going to other people's houses all the time to play. It's all I do. I play video games. I watch cartoons and I play Dungeons and Dragons. I think that was my life in the eighties as I approach high school. I started high school in 88. So as I'm approaching high school, this is all I'm doing. At some point, my mom's friends approach her and say, I think, I think because they were, they would come to the house and they would hear the it would sound like monkeys fucking a football in the other room and it was like all of us just on the table playing dungeons and dragons and screaming like these were energetic games screaming yelling all the rest of it and they'd be and and then they would say to my mom like are you comfortable it, like uh, we've been hearing this stuff about dungeons and dragons there was a there was a 60 minute documentary on it the, uh, there was something in the bbc that came out about it as well and and the news was sort of a light with all these horror stories of kids harming themselves while playing Dungeons and Dragons. And I think my mom's friends were trying to do the right thing and tell my mother that I was up to no good. Thank goodness. My mother did not just overreact and pull the plug. Instead, she had a sit down with me and, and I don't remember it word for word, but essentially it was, she was, giving me the tools she's like there's imagination there's make-believe and i think that's what you're doing she didn't understand the game but i think that's what you're doing on my table every weekend and then there is like the real world and the two can't cross jeremy there is 
there's, you know, there's a separation between the two. And I, what I remember taking out of the conversation was this, as long as I maintain that game in my imagination and to myself, then that was fine. My mom was not going to give me a hard time. I didn't know it was called LARP at the time, but LARPing or live action role-playing, this is what, like, she was like, you cannot go into the woods swinging sticks at your friends. You cannot, like, these were things she didn't want. She, that's where she drew the line. So for whatever reason, I, I mean, I didn't want to have to stop playing Dungeons and Dragons. That was ludicrous. So I was like, fine, I'll take that line. So even to this day, I've never LARPed. I, I don't have a problem with LARPers. I, it looks, and it looks like a ton of fun. However, because of that talk with my mother that day, it's sort of cemented in my head that there's a line that I'm willing to play games behind. But I, I've never really strayed across into LARPing. But I think my mom's warning from her friends came from what we're referring to as the satanic panic. And her friends giving these words of warning that, you know, are you sure that's not, I don't know what they said to her, whether it was, is that corrupting Jeremy? Is that, you know, my dad actually sat down and tried to learn with me once. And, uh, that, that was a, that was a, that was an exercise in futility, don't, but don't bad note that man. I have gamed with your father and, and I, I hold him in the highest regard. Interestingly, and, interestingly enough, like now my dad, I mean, he plays world of Warcraft, yeah. not, not well, dad, I'm sorry, but you, well, uh, no, come on, come on. Let, let's it's call true. a spade a spade here. <laughs> he doesn't play I, well, I, but he but he does play. And I think now, if I made the offer, he might even play Dungeons and Dragons with me. It's maybe Ooh. something I should do. <laughs> do you think that? Uh, do you think that your mother's um, like she's like no LARPing? Like was she concerned for your personal safety? Like do you think that that that's? I think I think she thought I think she thought that that would blur the line. Mm. the line that she was talking about make believe versus reality that larping would blur the line okay. i don't and she, and she certainly didn't call it larping she, mm-hmm. she i mean i don't i didn't even know what larping was for in high school i learned the term larp while reading about vampire the masquerade and werewolf the apocalypse and white wolf games i was like oh because they had an alternate set of rules specifically for larping and i was like what is this there's larp groups there's people that don't role play around a table but instead head off into parks or forests or whatever and live out sites yeah and live out their sort of fantasy stories that's my story my mom essentially said gave me a reality versus non-reality talk and sort of drew a line that you that i was not going to run off into the forest and with sticks and and beat my friends with them and i and i agreed to those terms and my mother then i know for a fact turned it back on her friends and when they questioned her about it again basically told them you know he's not doing drugs he's not smoking he's not drinking i know exactly where he is every weekend because he's on my fucking dining room table (laughs) (laughs) so i i I, and i i heard her tell a friend that so i was like okay uh i've got my mom back in my corner again so i'm invulnerable that's good people yeah Uh, but the concern was still there. And I think that's the case in most stories that revolve around D and D and satanic panic is that there's a concern and then people took it to varying degrees with their kids on to what they would do to enforce their concern. 
Right. Well, and, and it's funny, like you mentioned, like uh, your, your mom, uh, like the talk she had with you, her concern was like, let's not blur the lines between fantasy and reality, right? So she understood that everything that was happening was all make-believe and totally, you know, not grounded in any reality at all. Whereas I think that, uh, at least for some, uh, the, the satanic panic, kind of what, what drove it for some individuals was that they, they didn't necessarily think that there that it was all make-believe and it was all fantasy like they thought that they thought that you know there actually was some metaphysical and spiritual danger that could you know come out of the game right Mm -hmm. that it that it wasn't all harmless and i think and and would you agree that that comes not so much from uh something they knew or learned but out of just ignorance or misunderstanding of what dungeons and dragons was Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it's ignorance and misunderstanding for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 10 billion percent. Yeah. 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 So Nate, Nate, why don't you tell us your satanic panic tale and, uh, and sure. we'll all sit back and listen. Um, so as a six year old boy, I went, uh, I would go to Christmases at my aunt's house and my older, my older cousin was a huge D and D guy. Loved it and i just remember this is in the 80s? yeah oh yeah i remember sitting sitting in the early 80s like looking at his books in his room and like i remember the monster manual with the like the orc with the the double-bladed axe and the the death rider on the the horse or something like over top of him with the sword and uh i just i still remember that picture and i was like whoa he's like open it up and I like open it up and I'd see all these pictures of these monsters and stuff. And as a little boy, you're like, this is the best thing ever. A couple of years later, he's like, Hey, come, come down to my room. And I went down to his room and there's like a map on the floor and tokens and miniatures and all these books. He's like, this is yours. And he hands me the sheet of paper. And it was like a character. And he's like, you can name him whatever you want. And it was like game over from that point onwards. And uh, there's a hobby shop in Grimsby, Ontario, where I grew up. Um, And they had one book rack that was like all the manuals and stuff. And I remember like saving up and working hard. Uh, I grew up on a farm. And uh, any money I got that my dad could spare me would go towards that. And I'd buy all these. Um, Obviously, my parents were a heavy Christian family. Um, Church every Sunday, Wednesday, Friday. Anytime there was a service, we were basically there. And anytime there was guest speakers and stuff, uh, my parents would obviously go and listen. Um, one night during uh, the 80s, there was a guest speaker at the church who came to talk about uh, various different things in society that impacts children and your home and, and stuff like that. And my mom was there and she took that thing to heart, bought his book, read the book. Uh, the next thing I know, I come home from school and every Star Wars figure I had was gone. Every uh, Thundercat figure I had was gone. Every, every, basically all my toys, He-Man gone, Skeletor, all that kind of stuff gone. All that stuff was like gone. I'm like, mom, where's all my stuff? There are geeks everywhere weeping right now. Crying, uh, crying. Oh yeah. oh yeah. She's like, honey, I need to talk to you sits down, goes over all this stuff, how all these things are evil and are from the devil and stresses all this stuff to me. Skeletor, he's a, he's a skeleton, he's undead. That's 
that's from hell. That's the devil, right? Uh, Darth Vader uses the force and that's new age magic and all this kind of stuff. And so on the sort of omens from Thundercats, like the guy who wrote this book went into great detail telling parents why each one of these things were bad. And she, you could tell she was just vomiting this stuff back up to me. And I'm just sitting there like as like a young boy, like in tears, upset because all this stuff's gone. And exactly. she's like, in your I know mind, you're... she just took away like they were just toys. Toys. Yeah. Everything yeah. I play with, my yeah. imagination, everything like that. Right. I thought to myself, where are my D&D books? And I know that I lent them to my friend or left them at my friend's house where we were playing because I slept over at his house the weekend before. So immediately I was like, I need to call my buddy Mark and I need to tell him he can hold on to those for a bit longer, right? So I'm like, Mark, uh, you need to hide these books so your mom doesn't find them. Because if she finds them, they're gone. Like, you know what I mean? He's like, okay, cool. I ended up finding, like, I'd have to hide my D&D stuff in the rafters in my shed. I'd have to put them in a, a bag, tape it up so the, the water or whatever wouldn't get it, put it in another bag, hide it up in the rafters. I was doing that with, like, porno mags. Yeah. Well, you'd I had to do it with my D&D <laughs> books, bro. <laughs> you'd find an old Playboy. You'd hit jackpot. <laughs> you'd have to hide it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I remember I remember hiding um, Carl Sagan's Cosmos book. I just this, this is the thing I hid, you know, because evolution, right? Yeah. So. Oh, it's, <laughs> it, it's wow. just, it, yeah. it is insane. So the whole way, even even up to high up to high school, my parents kind of were like, you know what? Like, this is crazy. Like they start thinking for themselves a little bit more and they're apologizing. And to this day, I still talk to my mom about it. And I'm like, hey, mom uh do you have that like three hundred thousand dollars you owe me for throwing out all those toys that are worth a fortune now <laughs> uh, remember that death star playset or uh, my millennium falcon or my ad at the death star playset with the trash compactor yeah that's one Dude, oh i know i had that too i feel horrible for you right now because i have the exact opposite story again i moved out my parents showed up when i moved out on my own with a box of stuff they're like Hey, you may have forgotten about it, but here's all your Star Wars action figures. We packed them away for you when you outgrew them and we put them into the storage. And, you know, here's a bunch of your other toys. I, I think they even kept like the bath towel and the bed sheets, the Star Wars ones. I That's had. amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So, you, know, you know what, though? I mean, I don't want, I don't think being a dad right now mm -hmm. and having kids of my own, I can relate to your mom's knee jerk reaction. 100 percent if if Ooh. if i read if someone that i value like if i value someone's opinion i and then they tell me that something is potentially harmful to my kids mm -hmm. i would think that i would d definitely be looking into it as well i i, I would let i i hope that i would act research it <laughs> i hope i would act reasonably but yeah. I, I in all honesty i have probably acted without reason many times jason would maybe attest to that my jiminy cricket have you have you guys watched the 60 minute interview with on they, they, okay so in 60 minutes they're they're talking about dungeons and dragons and they actually interview gary gygax about they're like 12 kids have committed suicide i think it was 12 i, I might have my numbers wrong 12 kids have committed suicide in all in all situations 
there was some link to yeah. Dungeons and Dragons. They they were players of Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. Does the, and they basically say to him like, does that not concern you? Can you not see some mm-hmm. sort of correlation? Now he takes a very standoffish approach defending the game, and he says something along the lines of like, with the number of kids that commit suicide, this few that happen to be connected that happen to own or play Dungeons and Dragons. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's a correlation. And he then turns it on parenting. He goes like, maybe if they were parenting better. And I was like, if, if in the eighties, I had heard the creator of Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> say that to me, I'm probably burning my kids Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. books because I'm just going, fuck you, Gary Gygax. I'll show you. And I, I'll show you. I'm not a, <laughs> the kind of parent I am. So even though we hear the knee jerk, the, the knee jerk reaction your mom might have taken, and, and mm-hmm. like all of a sudden, all your you know, all the things you love are going away, there's part of me that still identify as a parent that identifies with her and goes, I think I may be capable of that. Yeah. I, I think we can agree that it, it almost always comes out of um, like it comes from a place of love, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it's just it it's potentially misplaced, uh, you know, especially like as as we said earlier, like if it's you know comes out of ignorance or or just lack of knowledge, right? And that's the thing I was going to say is like we got to remember too though, like in the eighties, the ability to go out and get an, a different point of view or additional information on something isn't like it is today, right? I mean, right. There, we didn't have the access to the internet or and I mean, especially about a lot of these niche topics, it's not like you were going to go and find somebody else who could give you a different point of view or more information on it. I mean, information was a real commodity back then. There wasn't a lot of it, right? So, I mean, if somebody comes in and gives you a point of view, it's maybe the only point of view you're going to get on it. So, yeah. so Nate, following <laughs> these events, do you, uh, do you think it pushed you even further to, like, at this point now, you're like, well, I'm never giving up D&D. Or... There, there is no way I would ever give it up. It was too much fun. But knowing I, that, I... knowing that your mom was like on a hunt for this sort of thing, mm-hmm. no way. Did, did it only did, like? I guess what I'm saying is, did the taboo of the game only make it that much more enticing? That much more? Um, I don't think it was the taboo. Like, I, th- I think of all the time I had invested into it, the maps, the worlds you've created. Um, even that stuff I'm hiding, right? It's yeah. in a binder, hidden maps upon maps of this world you've created that even to this day, I still use in some of my stuff, right? Like stuff mm. that eight, nine-year-old Nathan made still being used. It's still being recycled. <laughs> yeah, 32 years later, <laughs> mm. Mm. which is bananas. Um, it just tells but, you how good it was, right? I mean, the quality. Oh, it's at that time. Monty sure. Cook would have been proud. Ah! <laughs> uh, but yeah, like it. it no, it's it's so so. It's the investment, right? It's so much, and the time you spend with your friends, laughing and doing these crazy, having these crazy ideas and stuff around the table or yeah. sitting on the floor or whatever, right? In my case, sometimes in a bar and whatever to play, right? Those are times you never give up. And the no, people now you meet out of it is it's insane. Well, essentially, you and I have met through gaming. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So I, I, you know, I've it's made more bridges for me than it ever has uh, turned mm-hmm. people away. Like I've met more people than the game has turned away from me. To to your point, I mean, I know we said we weren't going to talk about COVID, but I feel like currently, I ha- it has never been brought more into perspective 
that maybe the game is not so much about the stories and the dice rolling and it's just getting together with friends. It's a reason mm-hmm. to get together with your friends. It's like we're not getting together just to sit around and shoot the shit. We're getting together to play Dungeons and Dragons and we we shoot the shit because of that. Yeah. Like we talk, we we find out what's going on because uh, 90% of every game that I've ever been to starts off with so how's everybody's week been? What's everybody up to? How's your wife? How's your sister? Hey, mm-hmm. did your did your brother get that job? It's just catching up and it's, then playing the game. It's a source of community and people like well for like myself for example who, you know, uh stopped uh you know going to my church, you know, at basically, you know, any friends that I had in the church, you know, well, now I'm an apostate, so, you know, they're not my friends anymore, right? And so it's like, okay, I don't have a community, so where do I find that community, right? And Dungeons and Dragons is a you know it's a great stand-in because Mm -hmm. you make friends you you make connections and like when you go to church you you make your rounds you know around the church and talk to all your friends how's your week been right you know what's been going on but when you don't have that you can get that with Dungeons and Dragons and it's it's something that I really appreciate and Dungeons and Dragons has a really strange way of binding people like a safe place when you reach the the I want to say the end of a campaign but like if you play with someone long enough, you're no longer that guy you just play D&D with. Like you refer to them as friends. Create friendships while playing. It's and in really in some cases really strong friendships. Like I have got guys from high school and before that I still hang out with that uh it was all D&D that that bound us all together. I played a, with a group of guys for 6 years online. Um, one of the guys was from California and was on, he got deployed for eight months, I believe. And the first time he came back, like the first words he that were out of his mouth were like, guys, this session was amazing. This is exactly like what I needed. Like mm-hmm. I forgot about everything. I was here. I was laughing. And it's, it's, it's a medication for, for people to play this a day after work, you're working hard all day. Well, Maybe you come home, that... the kids are loud or in your face. Yep. You have to come down and play D&D with your friends or go out, play D&D with your friends at the local game shop and just shut down, enjoy yourself, get away from it all and just let loose. And mm-hmm. it's the best. And think about, think about the 80s. There, there's, no, mm-hmm. there's no mental health crisis that people no. are aware of. That is sort of a subject that hasn't even hit the table yet. Mm-hmm. And here you have these kids that are maybe using the game as an escape from horrible things maybe happening in or around their homes. We don't know. And then end up taking their lives tragically. There were like cases where they were interviewing moms who were, whose kids had committed suicide because of D and D apparently that they were saying the most like outrageous things. Like I saw him and his friends playing and they summoned a demon and then they all committed suicide or, or then he committed suicide that night and it's all because of D and D and them doing this. And it's like, what, what are you talking about? And then they'll interview the kids and the kids will be like, no, that never happened at all. Like, (laughs) what are you talking about? You know what I mean? And, and it was the catalyst that started it all was that kid in Michigan, right? In the university, the eighties, who was like a 16 year old genius in Michigan who had several mental illnesses. Yeah. So, and that story goes that Hmm. he, uh, is playing Dungeons and Dragons. He's focusing more on Dungeons and Dragons than the schoolwork. 
probably because of all the mental illness he's struggling with. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, he goes for a walk one night and gets lost in the steam tunnels of his college or university. Yeah, Michigan State, under yeah. Michigan State. And yeah. then they call, you know, his disappearance, That his family hires a private investigator and they finally find him. He's not dead down in the sewers, although it becomes local legend. Like I've heard that story told hundreds of times and it's like, they found him dead in the steam tunnels. Him and his friends went down there and he got lost and he killed himself in the steam tunnels or he starved to death in the steam tunnels or it just goes on and on. And then mazes and monsters, the movie Mm -hmm. kind of takes that story and runs with it as well. Yeah. And then we find out that the private investigator when he, when he finally finds the kid, and the old kid is Billy safe. Deer. Yeah, the, the kid is safe the, and, and tragically takes his life a few weeks later. Mm-hmm. But the private investigator then writes a book called something like I Am the Dungeon Master or something and sensationalizes it for his own gain. Yeah, absolutely. I think you're right, Nathan. I think that's the first event that puts yeah, TV it, that on blew the up map. in the media. It blew up, right? And, rem- and again, no internet, right? You can't no research internet. any facts. You can only take what you hear from the news. ABC News. And yeah, six whatever, o'clock or right? eleven o'clock news. Whatever you know. This guy went was looking and went into his his uh, dorm room and found all these books with monsters and demons and pentagrams and. And I mean, not a lie. If you open a monster manual, there's monsters, there's demons. Yeah, and, and some of the old old artwork had pentagrams in it. But yeah. So yeah. Jeff, do you want to tell us a little bit about your tale of uh, of Dungeons and Dragons, and and even so much as like your first time approaching the Devil's Bench for a game? You know, the, there's uh, not a lot to it. Uh, you know, certainly my experience was uh, nothing like uh, like Nate's. You know, like I grew up in a very you know heavy uh, Christian religious household, and I was kind of like I was the, I was the, the the good kid, right? Like. You know, I'm I, I'm not the rebellious type, you know, so I never did anything or, or touched anything that I wasn't supposed to, you know, didn't go anywhere near it. There are even like, there are some Disney films and it seemed arbitrary. There's some Disney films like you're not allowed to watch this one because it has magic, but you can watch this one. That one's fine. And like, it seemed arbitrary because like they all have magic, but whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> They're all um, magical. Yeah, exactly. But in any case, if if I was told that you're not allowed to because, you know, might be connected with devil or satan or whatever then i won't do it right so like i didn't even bother with uh D or anything uh, of that nature i didn't even i never heard about the sat- satanic panic i didn't know what that was but you know that's basically what that's what it was even though i didn't know what the term was around about high school i was kind of starting to uh, deconstruct what i've been taught my entire life and actually, I had... Uh, which is sorry, what every teenager does. Which is what every teenager does. And yeah. sorry, this is a, a bit of a tangent, but I had actually, uh, I was carrying in, in this, like, I would think it was uh, 10th grade or 11th grade, I was carrying um, extra credits that I didn't need, right? So I ended up dropping biology. And, you know, my guidance counselor didn't like that idea. My parents didn't like that idea. And they all thought, well, he's just being lazy. He just wants an extra free period, which was kind of true. But I also didn't want to have to be in a position where I have to deal with, like, are they going to try and teach me evolution? And I'm, am I going to have to try and push back against that? And is, that, is this going to be a big thing, right? Because I was halfway, you know, kind of being convinced that, you know, well, maybe this evolutionary theory is more accurate than what I've been taught. So anyway, this is, that's how I wound up with a free period after lunch. 
And so now, <laughs> now I have myself a free period after lunch. You know, I didn't hang out, hang out with other kids from school outside of school hours. You know, like my social group was my church. For these two hours in school, we would sit down in this room uh, across from the cafeteria. Um, so during lunch and for one period after, we would just play board games. It wasn't, you know, always role-playing or Dungeons and Dragons or whatever. It started out like Risk, right? We would do a lot of Risk. But my one friend, one day, he brings in this role-playing game, which was probably some edition of Dungeons and & Dragons. And he had these pre-made characters. He had the map. He had the characters. And we sat down there like, we're going to play this. And I'll be honest, I was a, a little bit frightened of it because <laughs> I've been told, you know, like, this is, this is on the list of, like, you know, from the devil. You, you start doing, like, Dungeons & Dragons was like a Ouija board, right? Like, you just don't, <laughs> you just don't touch it. Right. I actually, th- I think that's a really solid comparison. Yeah. And so too, because my parents never said anything, but I know, I think we talked about a Ouija board one time and my mother was like, absolutely not. Yeah. Now you mentioned it. Like there, there was a line, like there was like, not a chance that's not coming in this house. My, my father had an experience with a Ouija board. He has, he's, he is the one of four kids and the four, uh, the three oldest rather, uh, had some sort of experience with a Ouija board. He won't talk about it to me. Like it, it was scarring. Whatever it was, it was scarring. And I found a Ouija board in the house when I was a kid. I'm like, what is this? I just remember my dad. Like, I think he threw it out that night. He didn't know. I don't think he realized it was still in the house. And I was like, that fascinated me. I immediately go to my mom, and she's like, she's like, your dad has a story. He won't. He probably he's not going to share it with you. Just know that we do not want you playing with a Ouija board. Well, and and I'm like, for, like this is just kind of like my opinion, and you know, maybe like I could be totally wrong, but I'm I'm very much a skeptic about these kind of things. Like it sounds like, you know, that he was frightened of the idiomotor effect, right? Like like there, there's scientific explanations for like you know if everyone's touching the thing, why it moves and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. But, but I mean, you know, anyway, people are scared of what they don't understand. Like it's it reminds me of. I would hear stories about, uh, you know, people like, oh, they had, they had something in their house that is somehow tied to Satanism, like some music album or something like that, or, or even Dungeons and Dragons, right? And then they would have an experience where they'd wake up in the middle of the night and it feels like someone is, you know, strangling them. They can't breathe, right? And so, like, clearly there's a demon in the house, right? There's actually, there's medical evidence to suggest that, you know, what that is, is uh, some form of like sleep apnea or um, sleep paralysis or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. But people, people fear what they don't understand. So, I mean, that's just kind of, you know, my take on it. But, but yeah, when I started playing the, the uh, Dungeons and Dragons in school, like kind of the most rebellious thing I'd ever done. But I was frightened and I was, and, you know, I almost kind of saw it as like, you know, I'm putting you know, my beliefs to the test, I'm putting my God to the test, I'm putting my faith to the test. Let's do this and see what actually happens, right? Am I going to, am I going to stare the devil in the face or is this just a game, right? I don't know. And we played and it was fun, you know, and I kind of got over it after a little while, but it didn't last very long because eventually the the teachers put a stop to our little, you know, game group. And I I don't think it was because of D&D necessarily, it might have been, but I think mostly they, we were just making too much of a ruckus and we weren't supposed to be there and kids were skipping classes. And so they, they said, no more, <laughs> no, no more of this. So, okay, fine. And I didn't do it again until um, many years later, you know, it was only uh, maybe a couple of years ago at this point. 
I got a job at a local computer repair shop uh, in town. And, uh, you know, one of the guys I was working with, he just said, uh, you know, hey, we're doing D&D and would you like to join? And at this point, I, you know, I had stopped going to church. I had, I basically said, like, to my parents, I don't believe what you believe. And I, like, my, my entire worldview had already gone through a major change. And so at this point, I have, I have no excuse. I'm like, yeah, why not? Like, it, there's, there's, it's not dangerous. I thought it was, and it's not, right? So let's do it. That's when I met you, Jeremy, and you know yeah. you were you were the DM for for that group, and you know from there it moved to uh, to the Devil's Bench, which I, and again like you said, you know talking about the Devil's Bench, like when I sat down at your game, again there were demons in it, and I was walking into a place called the Devil's Bench, which is conveniently located across the street <laughs> from a major church. It was actually a really heavy demon campaign too. Like we yep. had a lot of demons. It was. And what's funny, and this is just a psychological thing, is like intellectually, I had already convinced myself, whatever anyone, you know, in this group believes or whatever anyone else believes, like, I was convinced that it's, you know, it's probably, probably nothing that can harm me. There's probably no demons. There's probably no devil. There's probably no angels. Like, this is kind of where I, my head's at, right? And, and intellectually, this is kind of, you know, the conclusion that I've come to. Uh, I keep an open mind, but not so open that my brains fall out is a, a term I like, <laughs> but, uh, but even so, even though I've intellectually convinced myself, there's nothing that can harm me. It's, it's because it's ingrained in you so young that you're like your emotions, your emotions have not caught up to your intellect. And so, you know, I, I walk into devil's bench and, you know, there's, uh, there's, I feel a little bit of like a pit and like in my stomach. Right. And I, I sit down at the game and there's all these demons that we're fighting and, it, it's a little bit of like there's a little bit of a kind of a twinge you know it's slightly kind of uncomfortable but of course as as you continue doing it it becomes more and more comfortable it becomes more and more like it, this it, it is just a game that's just right? satan lulling your senses well it's like crack it, it could be you know what i mean like who knows right yeah but uh we actually talked to alex our last podcast was with alex of the devil's bench and we asked him if he ever gets blowback about the name and he says he, he admitted he does he, he yeah. occasionally runs into people that are like and when i remember my first time going there i'm like i, I thought man these guys are like really punching the devil's panic the, the 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 satanic panic on the nose by calling this gaming store the devil's bench and i'm going mm-hmm. to i'm going my first experience with the devil's bench was not to was not as a retail store. I, I went there as part of a think tank for DMs <laughs> to come and share their ideas. And I went in and did a talk on, uh, on something to do with Dungeons and Dragons. And But I thought, man, the devil's bench, what am I What am I coming to? So when you mentioned it to me that that, that had played on your thoughts as well, I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not, I don't even come from anywhere close to the religious background you're coming from. And it played on my thoughts. So, you know, it's just one of those, uh, it's just one of those things. I, I, I think it's, I actually think it's pretty ingenious. I think the fact that it makes people think uh, only maybe stirs up a little more mystery about going into the store and seeing what it's all about. You're probably right. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. And the best part is if you ever do go in, and we've all been in there, it, Curly's the most approachable guy on the face oh. of the planet. Like, oh, yeah. literally, like, yeah. Like the devil's bench. I'm waiting to go in there and see some real. And Curly's like, "Hey, how are you?" Yeah, with like, yeah, like you're waiting to see like a guy with like a face tattoo. Yeah, yeah. You know what though? I mean, when I hear you describe going to the devil's bench and walking in, here's Jeremy the DM, 
and he's running this story where the, the party is fighting demonic hordes that are breaking into the world uh, which was essentially what the campaign was about thank you for staying because i when you yeah. put it in that light i go like maybe there's more people that would have run from that like just go i'm not getting into that game that game mm-hmm. is a little too much for me like you not knowing about the satanic panic i'm not surprised by that because you were essentially on the other side of the fence yes i was yeah very much like even though my story my mom was pretty understanding and and Nate didn't touch on this and and maybe Jason can agree with this if you played D&D in the 80s or 90s at some point somebody gave you a sideways look for playing 100% so, somebody mm-hmm. yeah. thought you were up to no good by playing that game my um my mother would tell so this is this is my only story about it i guess is like the first time i started going down to Mark's house and we would do the same thing it was an all weekend affair um, we were young, so it was like literally kids on bikes. We traveled right across town. His front yard had like 12 bicycles in it. <laughs> we were there all weekend. And my mom said to me, year, at one point in time, she's like, the first, after about the first four or five times where you're gone for an entire, an entire Saturday, your dad's like, there's no goddamn way. They're sitting around a table playing a board game for 12 hours. He's lying to us. She's like, we drove by that house three or four times. The, over the course of the first couple of weeks, and he's like, God damn, the bikes are all there. But like, he, I don't know what's going so on in there. The, the last little story I'll, I will tell here, my son is now playing Dungeons & Dragons. He's he's 14. Uh, when this particular event happened, he was, he was 13 or maybe 12. And him and his friends are playing Dungeons & Dragons and really having a good time with it. And I had a parent call a, a number of my son's friends parents know that i that i play D because of the fundraising and all that we do but through D and so they call, i've had i've had one parent call me and go like how do i get these books for my kid he wants to play but then i had this phone call where the parent was like i i need you to tell me more my daughter wants to play your son and the other kids at school are playing dungeons and dragons she wants to play but I have some concerns. I'm okay. What are your concerns? And she flat out went, you know, just are there demons in the game? And I was like, I know where this is going, but I'm going to be honest. And I said, yeah, there's demons, there's demons in the game. Uh, But that doesn't mean there has to be demons in your daughter's D and D game. Your, you know, your daughter could play a game uh, that's more like a, it could be more like a fairy tale. It could be more like she might, she might fight she might battle and defeat lots of monsters in the games of dungeons and dragons and never face off against anything that's called a demon mm-hmm. and uh and she was like but they are in the books aren't they i go yeah they're in the books like there's no escaping that if, if she buys mm-hmm. a monster manual there's a whole section on demons and yep. if she and in the player's handbook there's spells that specifically will talk about banishing fiends or or um, you know, protection circles of protections to capture fiends and things like that. So I tried not. I tried to be as honest with her as possible. Like they're there, they're there, but they don't have to be in her game. Whoever her dungeon master is, or if she's DMing the game, they can choose not to have demons in their game. Mm-hmm. But uh, her her concern was that uh, just that they were still there they are a religious family religion plays a role in this again the word demon and devil 
hold a lot of power. Just like you, Jeff, it kind of made you think twice because the word is the word, like that, that word holds certain connotations, the word demon, mm-hmm. the word devil. That's what I was up against here with this mom. You know, I, I would have loved, I, what I should have done is extended an invitation for her and her husband to come over and play Dungeons and Dragons. With 100%. Her. Yeah. Oh yeah, for looking, sure. Looking back on it, that's what I should have done. And I should have run something that was silly and fun and lighthearted and had no reference of demon or anything like that mm-hmm. in it. But I didn't. I just I just gave her the facts that she was asking for. And inevitably this girl was not allowed to go on and play Dungeons mm-hmm. and Dragons with her with her friends, namely my yeah, son and sucks. a couple it, other it does suck. It does suck. And maybe down the line uh this decision will turn around mm-hmm. but uh i f- i felt at, at the time i just felt like i have to be straightforward and honest but when i finished the phone call i immediately thought back to my conversation with my mom all those years ago about crossing the line between reality and make-believe and i just thought you know uh, satanic panic was a- almost 40 years ago now but it's still alive and well for some people that mm-hmm. was, this idea and and on and you know i just it was just a a a point of reflection to go wow you you think it's gone but it's not really gone there's a lot more people there's a lot more people accepting of dungeons and dragons now and more and Mm -hmm. more and with and the benefit of the internet is that you can actually go and watch a game of dungeons and dragons for yourself Mm -hmm. and see what it's all about i think that's one of the most amazing things that the internet, and to some extent, we've talked about this before, critical role, it has given a doorway or a window for people to look in and see what Dungeons and Dragons is about and decide for themselves whether they want to do it or not. What do you mean critical role? We we only watch DM Jeremy here. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah <laughs> Powered I by wish, Monty Cook Games. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sponsored by, oh, could you imagine? Oh, <laughs> no. So, so yeah, so I think I think if if anybody wondered what growing up in the '80s playing D and D was like, I think these stories kind of give you a little bit of mm-hmm. of a feeling. I, I think we're all on board now, saying that if our kids or a young person that we know wanted into Dungeons and Dragons, we would we would all it would be a resounding yes from all of us, would it not? My kids play it. Mm. My kids play it. Mm-hmm. Jason's I, kids do not play it just because I think they think their dad's uncool for playing it. I would I would heavily encourage it for um, any kid just because I think that it like especially if you're if you're socially awkward or something like that like it it there's a lot of um, skills that you can build just playing D and D right that mm-hmm. are transferable, marketable, usable in in real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that there's there's a lot of uh, practical use for it. And I think being part of a community, right? I mean, any, yes. everybody wants to be part of a community that they're passionate about and, and hanging out with like-minded people mm-hmm. is always a good thing, right? I mean, it, it's going to help you build those social skills, but it's just that, that feeling of belonging somewhere. Uh, and actually in the 60 minute, uh, in the 60 minutes uh, episode where they are tearing down Dungeons and Dragons as, as a bad thing for kids, the the announcer at one point does say it's for highly intelligent and imaginative children, and I thought, wow, that's interesting that they would phrase it that way, uh, as opposed to just children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and uh, I thought that was interesting. And then knowing that schools 
I don't know that they still do it, but schools adopted it for a while as a way mm-hmm. to enrich gifted kids. Uh, for sure they do. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's expanded further than that. Um, when I moved to Brantford, my wife's a high school teacher in town here and I didn't know anybody really. So she's from here. So I'm, hanging out with her friends and they invite me out disc golfing one day so i'm out and they're talking about it and somehow dungeons and dragons pops up and i'm like you finally thank god right <laughs> and i'm like i play dungeons and they're like oh really we've always wanted to play I'm like okay next wednesday come to my house i'll have something ready for you guys and play a few games play play a couple games it keeps going uh for a few months and next thing i know the one teacher who's been coming owns all the books he started a D club at the high school and he ended up coming out to the fundraiser yes uh the year i was there and now he's got like uh, a D group with like 40 kids from the high school that's how far far it's grown it's insane i'm like this is all because i started a D group with like four teachers or five teachers and it's 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 hilarious to see how influential and awesome and how open and people want to share this game and the things that are coming out of it that you hear like even like D, there's a badge in boy scouts and girl scouts for it now in the states That's that you can get for playing D and running D and stuff it's this is where it's gone it's bananas so <laughs> it's bananas it's off the it's off the car yeah. off the tracks from where I was at that age to where it is now, like, man, yeah. I want to, I want to grow up this day and age. I don't know. I, mean, I think, yeah. I, I think there was something awesome about growing up in a time where it was taboo. D and D gave me a place to belong. Like, I know we talked about community and stuff, but it mm-hmm. was just like, it was like, this is my thing. This was my thing. Like, if, if people at the high school that my high school certainly knew like every lunch hour I was running D and D in a classroom somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, teachers. I had a teacher come up and ask me to run a game for, uh, for a group of kids he had been working with. And he was like, I think I th- they, they all keep talking about Dungeons and Dragons and I'd like to see how it all works. And I'm like, and he's like, can you, are you, he stopped me in the hall and said, Jeremy, are you a dungeon master? <laughs> I remember going like every fiber of my body when I was going, yes, I am. Uh, I'm not I, a dungeon master. I, I am <laughs> the dungeon master. I'm like, wherever you are, whoever you are out there, if you're a game room, show your local uh, gaming store the love, swing by, buy something, or even just check in them, make sure they're okay. Here in Brantford, we will be giving our shout out, of course, to our good friend Alex at the Devil's Bench. Um, second of all, um, we've been working with a couple of other podcasts on a number of things lately. And uh, I just want to give a shout out to Chris and the people who are at Knights of Roleplay. Great little podcast. Fantastic Dungeon Master. And it says they're about to drop a couple of episodes of Ravenloft right now. So if that's something you're interested in, you should totally swing by and give them a listen. And they're live play, whereas we are not as much anymore. We do have some live play in the work works, but they, I think all they do really is live play. But uh, it sounds like they're switching up campaigns or maybe doing a one-shot or a short campaign. But definitely Ravenloft, he tells me, is on um, and that we will be getting a shout-out. So reciprocating that for him right now. 
There you go. There you go. I would also like to to congratulate my co-host here, Jason. Jason works very hard on our Instagram account, and we cracked the 1,000 follower mark in the last oh. few days, uh, which is sort of a milestone for us. We also uh, cracked the milestone of 3,000 podcast downloads. So if you are one of those people that have downloaded us in the past, we want to thank you for that because that's a lot of downloading. We haven't been around that long. So it's been a good week. Definitely things seem to be moving along nicely for us. Nate and Jeff, you guys uh, can can join me or or you can say it on your own. Do you want to say it together? However you want it said, Chair. <laughs> give, me, give me your best good night, Dick, Nate. Good night, Dick. <laughs> I, I cannot top that. We're, we're letting Nate have that. Okay, we'll let Nate have that. We'll let Nate have that. And uh, yeah, good night, Dick. <laughs>